Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another live episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you have a question, we would love for you to contact us. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program this evening. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home. Maybe you don't have a question right now, but you have a suggested topic that you would like us to discuss in a future week. Please share it. We want this program to be practical for you, and the best way to do that is to know what you have on your mind, what is weighing you down, what is concerning you, what you hear being discussed in your workplace, or as you commute back and forth from work. We have a question that has come in. Good day. Can you please expound on Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16? Thanks in advance. And as I often do, let me read that verse to set the stage and pastor will give an answer. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days? Well, um, it's significant that that question was asked because I'm currently doing a study uh, in the same book of Colossians on Thursdays in our church, and I recently dealt with that text, so I found it um, a a question that I'm not sure somebody who's heard a lecture is asking this question or, or for the benefit of others but I do want to respond to it um, in Colossians 2 the Apostle Paul is trying to refute the different errors that ha- had begun to infiltrate the uh, Colossi church and uh, that were threatening to undermine the church and uh, virtually destroy the assembly and Paul uh, in that same chapter 2 uh, talks about four different um, threats to the, the church. Uh, in verse 8 of that chapter, he talks about, let no man spoil you through philosophy. And he talks about Greek philosophy, and he refutes that. Then in verse 16, he's talking about, uh, what, what the passage you're talking about is Jewish legalism, um, the, the, whether or not the church should know um, Remember that the church was birthed out of the wound of Judaism. Uh, it's, it's the first set of Christians were Jews. The temptation of the Jews were to try to turn the church into a Jewish church. And eventually the church became majority Gentile. But here uh, you've got people who are trying to bring Jewish practices and put these under the, uh, put this burden on the Gentile believers. 
and the Apostle Paul uh, is responding uh, to these attempts to do that. He talks about, for example, uh, what you should eat and what you should drink, dealing with the dietary laws of the Old Testament. We all know that under the Jewish economy in the Old Testament, there were certain restrictions in terms of what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, what you couldn't drink and what you couldn't drink. And now they're trying to bring that in within the church and say, you know, these dietary laws in the Old Testament are binding on the New Testament church. And then uh, religious days, uh, they talk about, um, you know, if you know anything about the Jewish religious calendar, you notice they had all kinds of festivals and feasts on certain special days. These are trying to bring these within the church. And then um, new moons, uh, which was the beginning of the Jewish um, um, year, calendar year as opposed to the religious year. Again, they're trying to bring that within the church. And then uh, Paul talks about Sabbath. And we all know about the fact that Sabbath was given to the Jews as a token of their redemption from Egypt. And now they want to impose these Jewish regulations and Jewish ordinances within the local assembly. And Paul is saying that these things are shadows. Uh, If you look at uh, verse... uh, uh, read the, the, the text, text you read and read the next verse after that, verse 17. Uh, verse 16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Verse 17, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. Yeah, what the Apostle Paul is saying that all of these Jewish ordinances relating to uh, days and uh, special days and the uh, calendar year and uh, dietary laws, etc., uh, etc., et the Sabbath, all of these were basically um, types or shadows of pointing to something that would eventually be the substance. And now that Christ has come, who is the substance, you don't need the shadows. That's the point he's making. So he's focusing in, in, in Colossians chapter 2 that the believer need to be focused on Christ and what Christ did, his sufficiency, his preeminence. Uh, and um, that's what we should be focused on as opposed to going back to these old Jewish customs and Jewish traditions, etc., etc. It's one of the fatal errors that the New Testament church faced in Acts chapter 15. Uh, it very early in the New Testament church, you had people trying to impose the law of Moses on the New Testament church, and they had to bring about what you might call an ecumenical council of uh, churches and leaders to discuss what are the obligations of the Gentile church in respect to the Mosaic law. And it was decided that the, the law of Moses was not necessary for the uh, the New Testament church, but they had some restrictions and guidelines and principles that they laid down. You shouldn't offer uh, things to idols. You shouldn't eat uh, f- food with blood. You should withstand fornication, etc., etc. There are four restrictions that were given to the Gentile church, and Paul and them said that this is sufficient for the Gentile church. We don't need to put these other regulations on on, on the on the New Testament church. So. Um, to answer the question, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, uh, is Paul mentioning um, ordinances, Jewish ordinances, that the Jewish sector of the Colossi church was trying to impose on the other believers. And the Apostle Paul is making it abundantly clear that you should not let people judge you on these matters. And uh, uh, this is something that has been a shadow, 
uh, types, but they're not the substance Christ is the substance. So stick with the substance Christ and don't uh, feel that you're obligated uh, to follow these different Jewish ordinances out of the Old Testament. Same challenge Paul had in Galatians. He dealt with the whole problem of the Judaism um, within the Galatian church, trying to divide the church and put a yoke of the law over the necks of the believers. And Paul deals with that in Galatians as well. Is this still happening today? Is Oh yeah, it's still happening. As a matter of fact, it, it seems to me that it's increasing. Uh, a lot of people are now, the Jewish church seems to be growing, and they are interpreting the Bible different than the Gentiles are interpreting the Bible, and they believe that because they're Jews and God made these regulations for them, that they are obligated to keep these regulations. They're not saying the Gentiles need to do it, but those who become part of the Jewish church, they get into the practice, and then they start teaching that the the, uh, the Gentiles should be following the same traditions of the Jews. So it's something that is growing. Uh, I've been to one of those churches, and uh, the Torah is like a scroll, is presented. You've got uh, Jewish People dancing on the right, on the right or the left, and doing the Jewish Jewish kind of dance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, a lot of it, basically, if you read the Old Testament and you see what's going on, you, you see where the traditions have come from. But um, that is not part of the New Testament Church, and it's unfortunate that there are people today who are trying to push this. The Sabbath is another thing that um, these uh, people who are part of the Jewish Church and know. Uh, almost align themselves with the Seventh-day Adventists uh, to push the Jewish Sabbaths as well on the Gentile churches. All of these are, are things that are happening at this very dark period of human history, uh, which is called the Laodicean Age. And I think the whole thing is that people are becoming preoccupied with form and rituals as opposed to being occupied with Christ. And that has always been a Jewish uh, issue. The Jews love rituals. They love rituals. They, they relish rituals. And uh, But what Paul is, is emphasizing and throughout the New Testament is that our focus is Christ and Christ alone. And these rituals have performed their, their, their function. There's no need now for us to keep reenacting these things again within the, Jew, the, uh, the, the Gentile church. Thank you for the individual who sent in that question. If you have a question, we would love to answer it. You can call and ask it live on the air by calling one 268-462-7420. Thank you also to uh, read uh, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter, chapter 14, yeah. Uh, what verse? Uh, verse 4, verse 4 to verse 6. Okay. Uh, Romans 14, 4 says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Verse 16, he that regardeth the day... Verse 15, 14. Uh, you, oh, verse oh, 6. Oh, oh. Ver, you read verse 6? I'm sorry, I'm on verse 6. I added yeah, read a, verse 6. Yeah, verse 6 says, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Now read verse 14. Verse 14 says, 
I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Very clear, the Apostle Paul, and he's saying that he's learned this from the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't learn it out of any, any textbook or any philosopher or another disciple. This is something that he learned from Christ himself, that there's nothing unclean. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 20 as well, verse four, chapter 14, verse 20. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Yeah, so if a person has a compunction of conscience that he shouldn't eat certain meats, for example, like um, if you take the Old Testament restrictions concerning pork or concerning lobster or crab, if a man really has a, a problem and his conscience doesn't allow him to do it, he shouldn't eat it. But the problem today is that they don't want uh, to take it personal. They want to impose their restriction on you. And that's where Paul makes it very clear that it is evil or bad or wrong for the person who feels guilty about eating it. But the person who is at liberty and freedom, who takes everything as clean, he has a right to exercise his conscience and enjoy what God has given to him. But the problem has always been that people want uh, to impose legalistic demands when we should have freedom in Christ, they want to bring us back into bondage. And that's why Paul had to deal with this problem. It's not just a New, Old Testament, New Testament problem. It's a current problem as well with these uh, new uh, uh, concerns about these days and Sabbath and meats and so on and so forth. It's trying to bring back old Judaism that Paul dealt with in Galatians, in Romans, and certainly in Colossians. Very unfortunate. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to us by sending it to 1-268-782-1454. You can also join us on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and send in your question once you are watching the video feed in the comment section. We have a question that has come in. This is in relation to the Christian and Vengeance. And I'll just read uh, the question here and then let Pastor answer it from a biblical worldview. The Bible tells us that we should forgive those who trespass against us. But to be honest, I cannot forgive those who trespass against me, knowing that they willfully doing it to hurt me. I reached out to God and asked him for vengeance and he never came through. Life is going good for them. While the wounds and my hurt is still oozing and bleeding as it were yesterday. He should have just let everyone die in the great flood. How could we love a God that makes us go through pain and hurt? Well, I, all I can say to the person who sent in that is clearly that um, you're doing a lot of damage to yourself. There's no question about that. Um, you are poisoning yourself, slowly poisoning yourself because you're finding it difficult to forgive and you seem to have a lot of bitterness, a lot of resentment. I don't know all that you've been through. I don't know your, your experience has been, but it seems as though it's been quite painful, and you haven't been able to get over it. But I am saying uh, from a biblical perspective and from what the Scriptures teach, it may not go along the grain of your thinking, but again, uh, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But He has told us in Scripture that we should leave vengeance to him. Uh, 
he is much wiser in knowing when to exercise that je- that vengeance. For example, you mentioned in the correspondence that uh, you asked God for vengeance and he didn't come through. Well, he hasn't come through in your time. But it doesn't mean that he is not going to hold those persons accountable who has done this great uh, harm to yourself and caused you such great pain. It's just that not every not every Friday is, is, is payday. Uh, sometimes God delays, uh, but eventually this is going to be rectified. So all we have got, basically, is to turn to Scripture and see what the Bible says on this matter. And I'd like you to read Romans twelve nineteen. Romans twelve nineteen says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And then if you look at Hebrews chapter ten, verse thirty. Hebrews ten thirty says For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, <coughs> saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Yeah. Even from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, 35, God, uh, as early as that book, the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the, uh, the, the uh, first five books of the Bible, in Deuteronomy, just look at that one verse, 31, 32, 35. Deuteronomy 32, 35? Yeah. Okay. That says, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Again, that's God speaking in that passage. We read the, the, the verses before. He is saying that vengeance uh, belong to him, and in due time, uh, whoever is... Um, been unjust is, is going to be dealt with and, and rectified. So when you look at the biblical teaching, we as Christians are left uh, to Scripture. Uh, we must not allow our feelings, our emotions to override what God said in His Word. Uh, many times that does happen, but it's failure on our part. Uh, if God tells us that to leave this matter to Him and He will deal with the matter, I think it is wise for us to try to do with that and then deal with the pain. Uh, I'd like to just make a few comments uh, as well. Look, um, again, I I don't know how deeply you've been hurt. I don't know what people have done to you. But I would say to you that you don't know all the facts about what has happened. You don't know why people did what they did to you. Uh, You don't know what motivated them. You don't know what they themselves have been through that might have caused them to treat you the way that they did and caused so much pain. Um... And then the other thing you've got to remember that we're all sinners and a lot of, there's a lot of ignorance and blindness and selfishness involved in every, every human being. Um, not just the person who hurt you, but you, you yourself. There's selfishness in you, there's bitterness in you, there's blindness in you, there's ignorance. You've done some things as well that I'm sure that has uh, caused pain to other people. Um, and then, of course... Um, Pain is what C.S. Lewis called God's megaphone to get our attention. Sometimes it's only through pain that he uh, gets us to come to him and to seek his help and seek his counsel that we turn to him to to get healing of our hurt. So it might be that this pain that you're going through is designed uh, to bring you closer to God and to make you fall on him, on him, him for help. Uh, rather than you trying to 
bear this bitterness and becoming more angry and uh, just poisoning your your spirit. Um, so, but that might be the only way that he can get your attention. So he's allowing that to, to continue. And then the, the other thing, of course, the whole of life. Uh, it's a parable about pain and God's redemption and God's forgiveness. So I hope that you can get beyond um, this vengeful spirit that you've got and um, try to um, be obedient to Scripture and ask God for the help and the grace that you need to be able to to forgive and to move on. Now, I would like to say this. You should be uh, in a, a disposition willing to forgive, but I agree with you that if the person... Uh, is 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 not repentant, etc., etc. Uh, I don't think you should just dish out forgiveness like that. But you should have that attitude to be willing uh, to forgive, because the Bible tells us if your brother offends you and he comes and he repent, you forgive. So it's contingent on his repentance that you forgive. But your attitude should be. Uh, a spirit of forgiveness as opposed to holding resentment and bitterness in terms of a person. Now, you, you asked the question, you can't serve a God who um, who would cause such pain. How could we worship a God? Well, what's the ministry of pain? What does God bring things in your life to uh, cause discomfort and cause hurt and, and uh, anxiety and, and um, anguish and, and pain? Sometimes uh, God is testing your faith. Um, testing your commitment to him are you just serving him because everything is going well can you still serve him when everything, everything is going bad that was the temptation the devil gave to about Job you know he's just serving you because you've just blessed him with all kinds of things but you take away these things from him he'll curse you to the face and the Lord used Job and Job went through some terrible experiences uh, to show um, Satan and the, the his, his cohorts that Job was not serving God out of a selfish motive, and that if he stripped him of everything, even his health and his family, he would still serve him because he has faith in me, and he's not serving me just because I blessed him. He was going to a time of te- Sometimes it's a temper us. And what I mean by that is, you know, you are more sympathetic to people going through their pain when you yourself has had to walk a journey of pain. And uh, sometimes that's the only way you can really understand the depths of other people's problems. So God sends you through it so that um, whatever comfort you gain through your connection with Him, you can share that comfort and that counsel with with other people. And then, of course, sometimes that pain is to teach you something. Um, And what I mean by that is some things you do in your, your life that might have been wrong, and uh, you're not listening to God, and sometimes the only way to get your attention and teach you um, not to go down a certain path, not to do a certain practice, not to engage in certain activities, is that pain is there. And that's what I mean by sometimes chastening. Uh, Pain is part of chastening as well. I'm not saying in your case that he's chastening you, but you must not exclude the possibility that that might be part of the plan that you need some chastening. And then, of course, pain puts a check on your life. Uh, if you're going down a path that's wrong and you begin to experience pain or relationship that is not going the way it should, uh, that puts restraint on you and it moves you out of that, going down that path so that it's headed to a hazardous situation. So there are times when uh, that is also going to help you and to restrain you. And then I think another thing is that it gives you a deeper understanding of Christ's sufferings. 
uh, the Apostle Paul said that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't think we fully comprehend the depth and the extent of the sufferings of Christ until we begin to go through the pain of betrayal, uh, uh, mistrust, misunderstanding, insults. Uh, you will never understand that uh, what that really means, how it feels, until you yourself go through that, and that gives you a greater depth and appreciation for God's sinless Holy Son to have gone through that kind of thing for you and for me. So that that gives you a greater sympathy towards the sufferings of Christ and a better, deeper understanding of the sufferings of Christ. Um, and then um, it also makes us grow in faith, in patience and in understanding okay so i hope uh just sharing those few things with you might be helpful but um i am just saying um i wish i had a better answer for you but i can't go outside scripture uh and, and use psychology or use human reasoning when the bible gives you a very clear explicit way in which you're supposed to handle uh this matter uh, so i'm just counseling you to stick with the scripture by the way I, I suspect I know who it is that it's sent it in. I, 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 mean, I, I suspect I don't know. Nobody told me, whoever it is. But I would wonder if the counsel that we've given you before, have you been to a church? Have you become part of a, a, a local assembly? Are you having fellowship among other believers? Uh, are you connecting with uh, a believer that is mature, that you can share and, and maybe hold you accountable? Uh, hold you accountable? Uh, if you haven't done that, you need to do that. Uh, so part of your healing may be found within the body of Christ where you meet with someone uh, who probably, when you learn their own experience, your sharing experience, they may be able to share with you how God has helped them and how God has molded them and, and caused them to, through this journey of pain to grow and develop and mature. Uh, so I'm just recommending that if you haven't joined a local assembly, you've become part of the body of Christ, I would suggest that this may be part of the healing that you need. And uh, just staying away from fellowship and uh, focusing on your pain is just going to send you deeper, deeper into a deep, dark tunnel. And it's not going to improve. Uh, you need someone to walk that journey with you. And that may be another believer within the local assembly. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.58. If you have a question, maybe it's been triggered by something that Pastor has said or some question that someone has sent in already this evening. Maybe it's something that you have thought about for years and years. We would love to hear your question, and Pastor would love to be able to answer your question from a biblical worldview. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. Again, that number to be put live on the air is 268-462-7420. Now, I realize that speaking live on the radio, even over the telephone, is not for everyone, and that's not a problem. We still would love for you to interact in other ways. You can WhatsApp or text your question to us. And if you want it to remain anonymous to where we don't even say what country the area code might be from or what region of the world, just put anonymous at the beginning of your uh, question or the beginning of your message or just say, uh, don't want to trace back to you. And we will 
when Sister Marianne receives the message in the other room and then passes it on to me, she will not even tell me what region it is coming from. You can WhatsApp or text your question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. If you're listening to the rebroadcast of this program, maybe a podcast online or maybe the re-airing on a Saturday afternoon at 3.30 until 5 p.m., you can still send in a WhatsApp or text question and we will answer it next week, Lord willing, when we have a live episode on Tuesday. I have a question that has just come in from St. Kitts Nevis. Pastor, I was listening to a Bible teacher who teaches a great deal on Bible prophecy. What I found strange was that he never says the names of God, Jesus, Israel, etc. He used all the Greek words, like God, he says, Yah, Jesus, Yeshua, and Israel, I forgot how to spell it. What are your thoughts, Pastor? Well, look, this is part of the uh, Jewish, I don't want to use the word infiltration of the church today. The What is happening today that... We are being told that there's only one name you should use for God, like Yahweh, okay? Uh, We're being told that the the word for Jesus is Jesus in the Greek language. We don't, I don't dispute that Jesus is, is in the Greek language, but again, when you transition a word from one language to another, the word Jesus is the same as Jesus. So it's not a big point. The other thing is that the word for God in the New Testament is theos. It's not Yahweh. It's theos, the Greek word theos. And these are the uh, the apostles that wrote these words. Okay, So if you're beginning to use an argument, you can only use Yahweh. Why did not the apostles use the word Yahweh throughout the, in all of the epistles? They used the word theos because that's the, word, the Greek word for God. Same word for Jesus is Jesus, uh, uh, which means Jesus. I just think that it is um, it's creating confusion, uh, greater confusion. And again, I, I think this is the mastermind behind uh, the confusion of our times. The enemy, if he doesn't confuse about what version of the Bible is the only version of the Bible, like the King James only, and you can't use another Bible, that has divided the church more than any other issue in our modern times. Now he's coming up with you must only use one name, Yahweh, and that's beginning to spread, and then you must only use the word Jesus, you can't use the word Jesus anymore. And it is such a silly argument that you wonder how can big people, uh, but again, People join a bandwagon and they want something unique. So for um, six thousand six uh, well, from sixteen eleven till now, we've been using the name Jesus. We've been using the word Jehovah. We've been using the word uh, God for all of these years. So you mean that all Christians from sixteen eleven until now, everybody been wrong in using the name. It is so silly. It's not even worth arguing. Okay, and by the way. Most of the, 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 the Christians today, in my judgment, we don't have the depth and the spiritual uh, depth that these people had. People like Spurgeon and all the great ones before. We do have some great preachers and we do have some great saints. But the caliber and the spiritual caliber of the past giants, there's nothing to compare with them. And if these men... Uh, had no issue with these different words and using the different words, I would rather walk in their steps 
than the modern step of a lot of these pastors and a lot of these preachers today who are great talkers but have no real spiritual depth like these men had. But um, I would be very watchful because I could see it already beginning to uh, infiltrate. We don't want it in our Baptist circles uh, because we don't want this kind of confusion to come into our independent Baptist circle and start dealing with these kind of... These are things that you have to confront. And you've got to confront it and nip it in the bud very, very early. If you don't, before you know it, it takes over. Uh, so I am very leery of a person who would uh, be constantly using the Hebrew word or using the, the Greek word and wouldn't use the English word. Um, that is just, um, I think, trying to be uh, somehow seen to be unique, having a unique particular feature, and uh, hoping that by this uniqueness it would draw a certain set of people to themselves. But the, there's no need for us not to use the word God or Jehovah or Jesus uh, today. This is what, or kurios. Why would we use kurios? That's a Greek word for Lord. We use the word Lord. We know uh, what it means. So I just think it's part of the devil's plan, in my judgment, to create greater confusion and get us arguing about non-essentials and forget the essential thing of preaching the gospel, (coughs) edifying God's people and teaching the word. I think it's another level of confusion that's now coming in that adds to the confusion and creates further division within the body of Christ. I can see the alarm light almost flashing uh, already in these matters. Speaking of confusion, Pastor, there are so many different religions out there today, so many different perspectives as to what I have to do to be right with God. Who is the right God? Pastor, what do I have to do to have a right relationship with God? Well, if you check the New Testament, it's very, very clear from both the Gospels and the New Testament epistles that a person gets right with God by turning away from the sin and repentance and putting their faith and trust in the finished work and the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. So a relationship with God starts with uh, the, the sin problem, which is the barrier, your sin separate between you and God. That's the sin problem. That has to be dealt with. But the only way the sin problem can be dealt with is the, the one who came to deal with the sin problem. That's Jesus Christ himself. So when you put your faith and trust in him, uh, he accepts the penalty for your sin. And what God does as well is that after remove your sin and forgive your sin, he imputes Christ's righteousness to your account. And that puts you in a position where you're righteous before God as far as your standing is concerned. And that enables, without Christ's righteousness, we could never have a relationship with God on an ongoing basis because we still have the sinful nature there. But God sees us in Christ. And this is what enables God to deal with us as though he's dealing with his son, as righteous as his son. That's the biblical teaching of imputed righteousness that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4. So that is the key, Nathan. Repentance of one sin, uh, putting their faith and trust in Christ, and that creates, breaks down the barrier of sin and creates the atmosphere of righteousness that we can have a relation with God. Codrington, thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Oh, my question is this. Um, King, when King did offer his suit unto the Lord, the Lord did vex with him. I want to know why he didn't vex with the food, and then when um, the guy, um, the people and him in the um, Numbers, why he didn't vex it them when they offer the food on, onto 
good either. Okay, just to make sure before you go, Codrich, to make sure we got that right, why was God vexed with Cain when he brought fruit, but the people in the book of Numbers, when they put fruit on the altar, God wasn't vexed with them? Was that your question? Well, in, in the case in the case of Cain, um, it is very very clear uh, two things. Uh, the, his approach to God was um, you only approach God through blood. The animal, that's why Abel killed the lamb, and uh, the blood had to be shed. As a matter of fact, when man sinned, remember that God killed an animal and clothed humankind. That's a principle that runs through Scripture that the only way that we can approach God and have a covering for our sins is that blood had to be shed. So here's a bloodless sacrifice that was offered as opposed to uh, Abel who offered a bloody sacrifice. And you remember the book of Hebrews, it said that uh, um, Abel by faith offered a more excellent sacrifice. Uh, Clearly, it would indicate that there was prior knowledge of what God required when you approach him in terms of what form of sacrifice was required. Remember, the Bible doesn't give all the details, but the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that it was the offering, a uh, more excellent offering than Cain did because it was a bloody sacrifice. The other thing is that um, uh, the Lord told Cain, if you do the right thing, you will be accepted and your sacrifice will be accepted. It's not just a matter of the sacrifice. It was Cain's attitude uh, that that colored whether or not the, the sacrifice we, would be received by the Lord. So it's not just the sacrifice itself, but he himself was in a wrong spirit, and therefore the sacrifice was not accepted. That is the biblical explanation that is given um, in the book of Hebrews. And also, there is another verse of Scripture in the book of um, John, which says that Cain was of the wicked one. Uh, and that would seem to indicate that Satan was already working in the Garden of Eden. We know that to cause man to sin. But remember, that was just the beginning. That war that started in the book of Genesis has gone right through, like a, a, a trail, right through until the present time. And we must not discount the fact that Satan was still active in the uh, Garden of Eden. And there's no doubt. Uh, that he would be no uh, would be behind the, the wrong spirit that that Cain had exhibited uh, in terms of the sacrifice. So the the main thing is the the sacrifice without blood, bloodless sacrifice. You can approach God for covering and a right relation without blood being shed. That was the first thing. But then the Bible points out to him also that uh, his attitudes was wrong, and that therefore meant that his a sacrifice. Uh, was not accepted. Remember in the, in the Bible it says, uh, if you go to the altar and you remember um, your brother has ought against you, you have ought against your brother. You remember what the Bible says? Leave the gift at the altar, go and get right with your brother, and then come and offer the, 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 the sacrifice, because if you don't, the sacrifice is not acceptable. That is a similar event of what took place in, Cain, in case of Cain. His, his, his attitude was, was wrong. And uh, he needed, and clearly the only wrong attitude he had was towards his brother. And we know later he killed his brother. So it gives you an indication that that attitude did not just start at the sacrifice. Um, it, it was a bad relationship going on there before that, which ended up in his death. And he, because he didn't deal with the problem, it uh, exasperate, uh, exasperated, and then therefore that led to uh, the death of his own brother. Remember that murder 
started very early in Genesis. Remember that? I mean, the, the, the world is just starting, basically. Uh, man and wife just have a, a child, and then suddenly the first crime that we have uh, is murder. Think about that for just a moment, right? But that tells you how the spirit, if it is not dealt with, it mm. deteriorates and becomes into bitterness and resentment and hate, and hate leads to murder. And that seemed to be the problem with Cain. Pastor, do you think that is the same process that happens today? In other words, should the governments, especially uh, we're covering the Caribbean area with our radio signal, should our governments be thinking of the murder rate in that perspective and addressing it at a deeper level? Yeah, I, look, this is the, my view, this is the, as, as far as I'm concerned, the biblical view. When it comes to the matter of murder, and it's premeditated, there's no question there should be capital punishment. Right? I have no problem with a person who has premeditatedly killed somebody, that that person's life should be forfeited. And that life is for. And the argument they're using that is inhumane, it is against uh, uh, the spirit of love. But the reason God gave why a man who commits a murder premeditated is because he damages the image of God. That's the reason. But Governments are not looking at the matter from the biblical perspective or the God perspective. They're looking at what is the UN saying, what is the Western world saying. And as a result of that, we see crime escalating. And if a man knows he can murder and not be um, sentenced to death, I can see a man reasoning that I'll be out in seven years or eight years. I think the average... The average, I'm speaking on the correction, but I think the average time in prison in America for not, uh, for like uh, killing somebody, uh, not the, the, the really bad ones, but for catch you kill, it's like five to six years. Wow. So when, you, when that happens, people are not um, uh, restrained. And I think in the Caribbean, we need to get back to more um, severe punishment for those capital offenses and I think if it is known that if you murder a man premeditatedly that you are going to be hung or you're going to be go to electric chair a lot of people said it's not a disincentive but I believe I, I don't think of any man who don't want to live right. <laughs> right? Yeah. so I think there's a mistake to say that it doesn't bring down the crime rate it will bring down the crime rate etc cetera, etc cetera. but I think uh, I think by listening to the western the other thing Nathan is that a lot of these powerful countries that lend aid to the Caribbean and in many different ways can uh, ruin your economy, they can put a lot of pressure on you to yield to their agenda, especially when it comes to dealing with crime or any social issues, etc., etc. So sometimes these these uh, Caribbean countries are pawns in the hands of these larger countries who uh, will impose certain restrictions or um, do considerable economic damage to the country if somehow it goes against what they want in terms of dealing with crime and punishment, etc., etc. I recently saw, I just saw a thing on the, t- on the it was either today or yesterday, uh, you know that when, I think it's, is it Ghana? I don't remember it's Ghana. It's one of the African countries that has put... Um, ban homosexuality and have actually said you either go to jail or you can be capitally executed Mm. and the American government put a lot of uh, penalties on them and I just saw this that the university students 
from three different universities actually went to the capital of the, the where the government is and supported the government saying we don't need your money if this is what you want us to do we don't need your money etc so I thought that was I was so I was pleased I must say to say that even these students realize that you know uh, we can't let money yeah. be the only reason for doing uh, in, in relation to morality but I thought that was very very profound and I saw it for the first time because I didn't know it had to happen but they supported the government saying yes we, we don't want this in our country and even though we might lose the aid and the finance etc let them keep the finance let them go we prefer that our country not go down that track Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 816 if you have a question you can WhatsApp or text it to one two six eight seven eight two. 1454, or you can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268 462 7420. Our next question is in relation to an eight long, eight minute long video. Now, I'm not going to take the time out of the program tonight to play that entire video, but it is a testimony of an ex warlock who practiced witchcraft on christians and i've got just a brief summary here that i'll read and then pastor can answer it the listener who sent it in is wanting to know pastor's perspective in the video uh, he believed that he had a contract directly with the devil himself in school he was taught who ruled which principalities and who to worship the devil, and how to worship the devil, and speak in demonic tongues, and to the principalities. By age 13, he was astro-projecting his body, and cursing and calling spirits on regions. He was telling fortunes with his demonic power, and wanted to promote, be promoted by the devil. He would kill animals and drink their blood. If you said you were a Catholic, or a Christian, or a believer... I was going to kill you unless you had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. He was asked to kill a Christian woman, but he could not, and the devil came to him and said that they would have to abort the plan. The God that she served said, leave her alone. I brought Christians to their knees because they had no power, not because their God wasn't all-powerful, but the vessel was weak. The vessel had no prayer life, no fasting life, and no relationship with God, encouraging Christians to put on the whole armor of God. I, uh, my problem with videos of this sort, Nathan, is that they are so sensational, and it's almost as though the person is glorifying the past life of demonic occult involvement. Um, I don't have any, there's no sense of brokenness. Um, you know, I would expect that or some kind of regret, but it's not given in that kind of a tone of regret and brokenness. There's almost a, a sense of self-boasting that I had all this power and I was exercising all this kind of, The other thing is that there's no testimony about how we got saved. Because I want to find out, well, how did you get saved? How did you get out of this? There's no witness about that. And then I also want to know how his life changed after he got saved because did these demonic powers come after him and try to uh, attack him? Because I know that happens when you have been involved in demonic things and you come out of it still. There is a, a backlash. But uh, having said that, there's no doubt in my mind that there is a dark side in this fallen world, that there's a devil, that there are demons, that there's a well-organized system of evil. 
Uh, I don't know if you've been following the news. They just came out with a movie that's dealing with, uh, I forgot the name of it now, uh, dealing with uh, child... Um, oh, human trafficking? Human trafficking. It's a powerful movie. For six years, the guy made it. This is a guy that really um, was, a, I think it was a CIA, and he left the CIA, basically, and went because of... In other words, he got involved in saving these kids. Hollywood had that for six years and refused to show it. Uh, they're now showing it, and you know it. It be, it just beat the um, this uh, this uh, film that came out with Disney. I forgot the the other. Again, I don't watch these movies, but it was supposed to be one of these uh, serial movies, and they're surprised that this film that was uh, didn't have all the technology and had all the backing of Hollywood. It is now outstripping this one that was supposed to have been a blockbuster. But you know what? It is being criticized by CNN and all the news media because they're now exposing the child trafficking, etc., etc. People are going to the movie, uh, Nathan, and crying. I mean, I want to see it myself, right? Because it's a, it's a documentary thing of what the guy actually went through. They're now trying to make it look though he's fake. This is not true. And part of the reason is... Um, uh, this guy that did the movie for uh, The Passion, what was his name? Um, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. He came out and he recently supported it and said, fellas, this is what is going on in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And this the first way to deal with this problem is awareness. You must see this movie. He, Mel Gibson now also doing a, 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 three, a three, three series on, on the same thing. It is... Uh, I, I listen to people who saw it, women and stuff like that. They can't believe, I mean, the, the thing that this is going on, and these are people in high positions in Hollywood, in big corporate people who are involved in this whole thing. It's a, it's a massive uh, cover-up that's going on, and a lot of people in big names. That's why the Einstein, is it Einstein? You know, the list, the Epstein, Epstein, oh, yeah, yeah. his list. That list hasn't come out. And uh, one of the first somebody said recently that they can't release this list because there's so many big names that were involved in this whole thing. And so they're trying now to take that very movie and uh, chastise it and, and say it's, it's, it's a QAnon movie and all this kind of thing. But I'm surprised that the kind of op- opposition. And remember, six years, Hollywood won't touch it. The movie say it would take it for, for six years. But now... It is taken over, and everybody wants to see exactly. It's an awakening call. But I'm saying not to say this. There's a dark side mm. to this world, and there's no question that um, there are people who have tremendous demonic power because of either uh, a peace pact with Satan, or sometimes by transference from a parent to that person, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's no no question as well, uh, Nathan, that there are territorial demons in the book of uh, in uh, Daniel. He talked with the Prince of Persia and the Prince of uh, Prince of Greece. These are powerful uh, spirits that were responsible for the Grecian Empire and for the Persian Empire. So his mentioning of, of, of these territorial demons, etc., etc., the idea of astral travel as well, there's no question that happens. I, I know a pastor who, 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 uh, that, who did that before he was a Christian. And I have no doubt in my mind that he's a credible person, right? Uh, so there's no doubt that that can happen. Um, but again, I I don't didn't like the sensationalism part of it, and I don't know if the guy has has gone from one extreme to the other. But most of what he said 
uh, I have no problems uh, believing that these things happen. Uh, I don't know if as sensational as he, he mentioned, but it also is a warning to us from Ephesians chapter 6, it wrestle not against flesh and blood. Uh, as a matter of fact, could you read Ephesians 6.12 for me, please? Ephesians 6.12, while I'm turning there, the name of the movie the pastor is referencing is Sound of Freedom. Yeah, they should read it. I want to see that. I really want to see that. It's a fascinating uh, uh, this, um, exposure of what is going on. Terrible. Ephe- Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah, that is a, a passage that confirms a lot of what he's mentioning. I do believe that um, people who have studied voodoo, there's no question that y- you can have spells put on people, etc., etc. But of course, the true believer is shielded and covered. Uh, but the person who is not a Christian, he can actually come under those kind of, of spells. Um, the other thing I, I, I would mention, uh, Nathan, is that the transgender movement, it is part of the Hollywood culture. And I, I heard a guy speak this week on the matter. They have become bored. This thing with the children been going on for years. So he's now saying they've gotten bored with this uh, sex trade with children. They want something more kinky. So they are pushing males to be uh, female now that that is where this whole thing is be- but behind it all is this cabral of people that are so corrupt but they've got so much money that for example losing making a movie and losing a lot of money means nothing to them because they've got so much money because they're pushing an agenda it makes no sense what is happening a guy asked a question 20 years ago you have anybody uh, there were always transgender people cross-dressing you ever heard anybody killing them or, or being violent to them the answer is no but they're making this thing such a big thing because they are they are bent on uh, creating this new um, this new phenomenon because and I agree with it when I listen to this I say you know that they are completely bored and they ain't got nothing to do with all their wealth and all their money. So all they want is something kinky, you know. So they want men like acting like women and women acting like men. And I have no doubt that it is part of the great um, conspiracy that's going on against uh, civilization and society. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 MHz FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. For this program, you can also join us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can listen to the program, watch behind the scenes, and then comment your questions or your concerns in the comment section, and they'll get passed along. No matter how you are interacting with us tonight, thank you for sending in your question. We have a question that has come in. Good night. Will all these different doctrines and whose religion is right and the true religion, isn't this like the Tower of Babel where they were confused and no one understood each other? Well, it is somewhat becoming like that. And the only thing in the Tower of Babel is spoke different languages. What has happened there? We speak in different theology. And this is where uh, the, the devil is the author of confusion. Never forget that. And the more he confuses people, the more he undermines the truth of the gospel. And, and this is his handiwork. Wherever you see confusion, you see the hand of the devil involved in this whole matter. 
And this is where I, I, I should tell people, listen, you need to go back to your Bible and let that be your final authority. So when you are looking for a church or looking for ministry, go to Scripture. Uh, judge that ministry according to Scripture. Don't be impressed by personalities or, or the charisma of an individual. What you need to be firmly concerned about is the truth. Are they teaching the truth? Are they preaching the truth? Are they presenting the truth? That's what will set you free. And, and don't be don't be um, sidetracked by maybe they, they got a good music program or maybe they got a good acting program or something that that is not the that's not what you want. This is a battle, a life and a battle for, for for truth, and that which should be a concern. So I know that people are confused in respect to all of these different churches, all these different teachings. And there's only one way to settle that, and that is you need to go to the Bible for yourself and take whatever doctrine is being taught by that church or that ministry and uh, see if it falls in line with Scripture. If it doesn't, uh, then you need to get out of that and find yourself into a church that teaches uh, Scripture and is in line with the biblical teaching. A question that has just come in. Pastor, why did God suffer the Egyptians? Why did he suffer the Egyptians? Uh, I don't am too sure how to interpret that word suffer. Uh, did he cause the Egyptians to suffer? Or did he suffer meaning since he put it with the Egyptians? Like I suffer uh, right. to put it with you, right? I, so I'm not too sure. Maybe if the person give me some clarity on that matter. Um, if you're looking at it from the, the point of view of God causing suffering to the Egyptians, uh, again, remember that uh, Israel was in Egypt for over 430 years as uh, in bondage, and um, vengeance is mine. How many years do you wait before God acts? And when God asks um, Pharaoh to let it, these people go uh, to the land of Canaan, of course, you got, um, I think, 10 different times um, he refused to do it until God said, you know, finally what I'm going to do is gonna, I'm going to kill every firstborn so he had a choice. You let my people go, or this is the consequence. And every time Pharaoh said, yeah, let them go, and then he changed his mind. And uh, God had to take drastic measures. And the final measure was that the firstborn in Egypt would be killed. And he was told that. But if they had taken the lamb, which is the Passover lamb, and they had killed it, and they had put the blood over the lentils and the poles, everyone was protected. So in, if an Egyptian had listened to Moses and done exactly what Moses said, his firstborn would not have died. But God gave them plenty of time to repent, plenty of time to um, heed his command. Uh, and remember that God is long-suffering and God is patient, but uh, God is also just and God is righteous, and God has to act. He cannot let something continue indefinitely. And uh, we all going to stand before God and give an account because of this. And in the case of Egypt, uh, the time had run out, the patience had run out. It was time now to act, and, and God dealt with great severity with ten plagues uh, upon those nations. But those did not have to happen. Had, sailed, uh, had Pharaoh responded positively and let God's people go, and you would not have had the ten plagues. Isn't there a verse that? says something to the effect of that God would ensure that Egypt would no longer ever become a world power. Yeah, there's a passage. Uh, I, I don't know it off the bat. Maybe next time I can give it. But that is why, in spite of the fact that Egypt is the 
largest Arab country, I think about 65 million Arab uh, people in that nation, it has never risen again to be a superpower because God had determined that it will never be a superpower again. But that is that is actually in Scripture itself. And that would be as punishment for what they did? Yeah, that would be uh, his, 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 his punishment, of course. Here's an interesting question that has come in. Pastor, should Christians be vegetarian or is it okay to eat meat? Uh, the only answer to that question is to search the scripture and see what the Bible says about it so that um, we have some clarity on it. The first thing that I think is important is to understand that uh, before the flood, uh, people were vegetarians. If you look at uh, Genesis one twenty nine and Genesis 2.9, Genesis one twenty nine says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And then in Genesis 2.9, Genesis 2.9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. So in, in man's pre-fallen condition, where he's perfect, he's a vegetarian. After man sinned and God brought the flood, that vegetarian diet changed. Look at uh, Genesis 9.3-4. to Every morning, excuse me, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So notice that prior to the Leviticus, man is given right to eat every living thing. The only restriction is you can't eat it with the blood. So long before the restrictions came out, pigs and, and uh, every living thing, God now says you have a right to eat that. So did that change from being a vegetarian to now where it involves meat and, and living animals, etc., etc.? The other thing is this, that Abraham uh, served meat to the Lord and the angels in Genesis eighteen five to 8. Never really thought of that. Eighteen five to eight says, yeah. and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that, ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abram hastened, in, and Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quick three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran out to the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto the young man, and he hastened to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Now, I, we don't want to, I don't have time to go through the whole chapter. If you read the whole chapter, one of those angels is the Lord. Um, you, I, you could read the chapter and you see that. But notice that he prepared not only the, the bread, but he also took a lamb, and he gave those the Lord, and he gave the angels uh, to eat. The patriarchs ate meat. Uh, talking, for example, look at Genesis 25, verse 27 and 28. 
Genesis 25, 27-28 says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, we could, I could give you other passages that indicate that the, but the patriarchs ate meat. It's clear of that. The Jews ate meat as well. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and leavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. So clearly, the, the not only the patriarchs, but the Jews generally, they ate meat as well. And then the other thing, Nathan, is that the priests were the ones that were given the, the meat uh, that was uh, the sacrifice. They were given it to eat again. So the priests also were uh, people that ate meat as well. So not only do you have uh, Abraham eating meat, the patriarchs eating meat, the Lord eating meat, angels eating meat, you've got the priests eating meat, you got the Jews eating meat. Christ himself also ate meat. Look at um, Matthew 26, 17 and 8 to 19. Matthew twenty six seventeen to 19 says, And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as he did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Yeah, he's part of the Passover, uh, the Jew, observing the Jewish Passover. We know at this time he's going to do the communion service, but part of the Passover is also eating the lamb that was to be sacrificed, okay? Uh, also, if you look at Luke 24, he ate fish, 41 to 43. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. So here is the resurrected Christ, also eating meat in the form of fish. You ask it, should a person eat meat or eat uh, or just be vegetarian? The other thing is that the Apostle Paul warns that there'd be false teachers in the end time that would come that would forbid uh, people to eat meat. Look at Romans. Um, Romans fourteen fifteen to 20. Romans chapter 14, verses 15 to 20 say, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that is in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. What verse do you want me to go through? Uh, verse 20. Verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after these things, which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. But it is evil for the man 
who eateth with offense. Yeah, so he's talking about uh, people in the church making meat an issue. And he's saying that, you know, as I said before, if you, if it says, it bothers your conscience not to eat a certain type of meat, that's your business. But it is not your responsibility to impose that on other believers. Uh, we saw that all earlier in the same book of Romans, chapter 40. We didn't read those verses. Also in um, Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 8 to 13, the same problem dealing with meat. He, he, he kind of deals with that again. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither, if we eat, are we yet the better? Neither, if we eat not. Let's are stop we there for just a moment. I mean, that is so very, very clear. And meat should not be an issue to divide the brethren. It's not going to make you more spiritual if you eat or less more spiritual if you don't eat. That's the point Paul is making. Go ahead. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And although thy knowledge shall the weak, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. Again, the situation Paul is dealing with in Nathan is the idea of eating meat offered to idols. And Paul is, uh, will later on tell you, you know, that uh, if, you're, if you know that something is offered to idols and you know your brother is offended by that, don't eat it. But if you go into a house and somebody offer you uh, meat, don't ask him, did you buy it in the marketplace, right? <laughs> That's not your business. Because So Paul is so, is, is, is so practical uh, that you, you smile sometimes when you read this kind of teaching, you know, that you know you would expect Paul to teach something greatly profound. But he's saying, don't, don't let it be an issue because this is not worth fighting over. And that was a fighting issue in the New Testament. And it is amazing today that we haven't learned anything. It's now becoming a fighting movement again in the church, whether you, what you can eat, what you can eat. The other verses is First Timothy 4, 1 to 3. Paul says the, uh, the teaching that you shouldn't eat meat is a doctrine of demons. It's a shocker. First Timothy 4, 1, 1 to 3. 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. But notice he said that this is a doctrine of demons in the first. So, so when you have this movement in the church where people are saying Christians should be vegetarians, they shouldn't eat meat, I don't know if people read the Bible. Paul says in the last days this is going to be part of one of the great doctrines, of demonic doctrines. See, because God has given meat to be enjoyed by those who have a thankful heart to the Lord for He's provided. So it, it might seem an insignificant movement, but you can't read that verse without understanding that there are demonic powers involved. And again, what is this about? Creating more confusion in the church again, right? Uh, I thought that was a fascinating verse. And of course, the other thing I would say finally about that, Nathan, is that in Romans 13, 14, verse 2 to 3 and verse 6, uh, we have the freedom and liberty uh, to eat without allowing somebody to pass judgment upon us. 
For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and that he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth unto the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Again, it's so clear and so simple. We shouldn't be judging each other on these type of things to, to create greater division within the body of Christ. So to answer the question, Nathan, uh, there is no biblical restriction that a believer cannot eat meat. If a person prefers to be a vegetarian, be a vegetarian. But don't try to impose your vegetarian diet on me if I am not a vegetarian so that we create all kinds of division within the church and create all kinds of confusion. It is part of the demonic plan to create confusion and to destroy the unity of the church. And Paul wants to know that this 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 fretting about meats I said today, there's a demonic element involved in trying to create division in the church, destroy unity and create confusion. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is eight forty four. I am glad that you are listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. The voice that you hear teaching and answering the questions is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church on Roan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. If you don't have a church or you're looking for a Bible-preaching church, we would love for you to visit. Sunday school starts at 9 a.m., the morning service starts at 10 a.m., and then on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m., we alternate one week as prayer meeting and the next week is Bible study. We would love for you to come join us for a service. Pastor, you've been doing some teaching on the family over the last uh, couple of months, and question what are some warning signs that a married person may be having an emotional affair with a third party? Well, I think people uh, need to be aware that uh, there is a lot of emotional infidelity that goes on that has not gone fully physical. And um, there are some warning signs, clearly, that a person should be aware of that uh, help you to understand where this uh, emotional relationship is headed. The most common place for these kind of relationships are within the workplace. Uh, uh, the workplace is the breeding ground of infidelity, but that never leads to um, physical relation unless, first of all, they become some emotional attachment. And this is where the danger is, and there are some signs I would just like to, to mention. When you're having an emotional fear, there, there are some things that would, would help you to see how far you've gone. Uh, is an emotional affair a sin? It can be a sin. Okay. It can be a sin. It's not necessarily a sin, but it can be a sin. Um, let me just tell you, uh, give you some. The first one is that you're having conversations that you wouldn't want your spouse to hear. So you're having something, you're, you're speaking to this person, uh, 
uh, and you don't want your husband either to hear it or your, your, your wife to see it, when you don't want them to hear or to see it, you begin to cross the line. There's something that is fishy, and you're aware that if your husband or your, your wife or your spouse were to know about it, it, um, it it means that you're not as transparent as you are, and it means also that there's an element of trust that um, you're crossing that lane. So that's the first thing I would say. If you're having a conversation with a person of the opposite sex that you wouldn't want your spouse to know about, you are in danger of of crossing over the line. That 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 means that there's some emotional thing there that you need. Number two, uh, you're dressing to impress the specific individual other than your spouse. So when you leave home, you're not dressing for your spouse, for him to say, wow, how you look. In actual fact, you find yourself dressing for the person in the workplace. Uh, you are trying to somehow get them attracted to you. Now, this is something going on in your head. Your husband might be seeing you dressing and think that you're just dressing as a professional, but you have an ulterior motive and it's ready to become more attractive. This, again, is a very uh, very early warning sign that you're now beginning to enter the enemy's territory. So you're having a conversation that you shouldn't be having, and you wouldn't want your husband to know. Number two, you find yourself now dressing for that person, and, uh, and the part of the reason why you're doing that, you want that person somehow to, uh, to be drawn to you. You want to attract that person. Number three, you try to create opportunities to be alone with that person other than with your spouse. So you plan. Um, you, you, you know the schedule. Um, you know when you can be alone. And uh, that kind of thing happens. So now that what is happening is that um, rather than want to be alone with your, with your, your spouse, somehow you want to uh, create an environment where you are alone with this person. If you are deliberately planning, uh, scheduling, to be alone with that person, you are involved in an emotional relationship. Uh, and that is very, very dangerous. It's territory that uh, can lead uh, to something that is becomes physical. But that's the third thing I would, uh, is a warning flag that you need to be aware of. And I would suggest you need to get uh, immediate distance because this is where secular fears begin when you get isolated from each other. Uh, number four, you delete texts or emails from someone because you don't want your spouse to see it. Um, you are very protective of your cell phone, and if your spouse is playing with your cell phone, you get very angry, very upset because there's handsy pansy going on, and you're afraid that they're going to call up something and then they'll begin to see it. You now cross the Rubicon. And you're definitely having an affair if you're sending each other's texts that your partner should not know about. You've got to be very, very... So this secrecy is there. And remember that secrecy uh, is the enemy of intimacy. If you're doing something secret with somebody else, your intimacy and your relationship, it, it, it goes. So that, that's something you need to... This is now where you really need to confess and start fighting to rebuild uh, trust in your marriage because you're now going a little bit far. Number four, you're having consistent romantic thoughts and sexual fantasies about the other person rather than your spouse. So when your mind should be on your spouse romantically, uh, your thoughts are being shaped and driven by the other person and you're having these 
uh, this mental uh, fear with this person and fantasizing in your mind. Um, affairs uh, don't start in the bedroom. They start in the mind. And uh, that is something, you, if you become aware of that, you definitely are in, in a trap. Number six, you're constantly comparing your spouse to the other person, or the other individual. And most of the times when you do that, the tendency is to see your, your spouse in the negative as opposed to this person. This person seems um, so much nicer uh, than your spouse is and uh, so much more beautiful, so much more attractive. So the, you're making the comparisons, but your spouse gets the wrong end of the stick when it comes to the comparison. And then number seven, you find yourself talking or thinking about that other person. So throughout the day, you're talking to yourself or you're thinking to yourself, and uh, your, the, the, your, your mind is now completely filled, as it were, with that, that individual. So you're becoming more entangled and more entangled uh, emotionally. Uh, number eight, you look for opportunities to get away from your spouse uh, so that you can fantasize about this person or maybe uh, meet this person. Uh, so your spouse, your spouse is now a distraction and you start pulling away from your spouse and you start doing things not to be at home uh, and you begin to find excuses why you're, you've got to be late. Uh, that it's clearly uh, you're involved emotionally. And then number nine, your sex drive with your spouse becomes either significantly lower or significantly higher. Now that might seem kind of strange, but here is the is the whole thing. If you are connected with a person, the emotion involved with the other person, you begin to lose interest in your spouse, so that lowers your intimacy with her. On the other hand, you can be having intimacy with your wife, but in your mind, you're having intimacy with this person, so it increases, but not because it's your you're having intimacy with your wife, but you're having this imaginary fancy intimacy with that person that you are involved in. Um, and then number number 10, you're planning a new life together uh, with the other person in your mind. You haven't done it yet, but you're planning what life would be with this other person so that um, your interest in your other spouse, your, your real spouse, is, is uh, waning and uh, this person has taken over your mind. I think when you take those steps, um, you are in real, real trouble, and uh, it is very, very clear that you're having an affair of the mind. And remember what Jesus said? He said what? If you look at a woman to lust after her, you already committed adultery. So in a real sense, you're an emotional adultery all like now, if you come to these ten stages in this, this matter. And uh, it's a warning that if you don't put a check on this whole matter and reverse what is happening, it is guaranteed you're going to end up uh, in a disaster with this, this situation. It's going to become very, very, very physical. Remember that unless you have a prostitute, um, you never end up in a physical relationship before you enter emotional relationship. Emotional starts first, and out of that emotional, you go into a physical relationship. Unless, as I said, there's a body you can pay to, to have sex with. But generally speaking, that's why when you see this emotional trap happening, and you begin to see these th these ten things begin to happen. 
uh, you need to put some brakes on this whole matter. Otherwise, it is guaranteed that you're going to have uh, an actual physical affair with this person. Uh, take warning of these emotional signs and don't wait until it gets to that point where recovery is almost impossible. So um, take these things and just uh, look at them very thoughtfully, very carefully, and ask yourself where you are along this continuum. And uh, this may help you to see how far you've gone and what degree of repentance is needed at this time uh, to restore the relationship with your, your, your wife. You mentioned that the workplace is kind of the focal point of uh, infidelity. What advice do you have? I'm sure you're not going to tell us to stay home and not to go to work. <laughs> uh, I, I would say um, uh, within the workplace, um, don't get too close to um, a person of the opposite sex. There's nothing wrong in having a, a girlfriend. When I say girlfriend, a person you get connected with a young lady, in the ch- if you're a girl, a man with a man. But when you have this crossing where you're becoming too friendly with a male counterpart, especially if that person is handsome and attractive, especially if that person is moving up the scale of success, one thing that women gravitate to are men who have leadership qualities. It's almost inevitable that they had they admire men who have these leadership qualities, and there is a, 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 a natural attraction to those type of people. The other thing I would say, Nathan, is that don't stay after. Uh, if you're a female and you have a male voice or you have a male partner that you work with, don't stay after uh, in, uh, with that person. Uh, let there be two or three people there uh, with you, but don't ever stay with that person themselves. I don't care who you are. Uh, look, anything anybody's done, everybody's capable of doing, yeah. and you must never put yourself in that kind of a trap. But that's the other thing I would I, I would say. Um, and then, if the person seems to be getting too close, I think there are ways you can deal with that. I remember some years ago, I had a secretary, and for the first time, I began to realize she was coming behind me. And, and, and put in her, and I, I had to stop her immediately. Stop her immediately. I, uh, I said, get from behind me. I don't want you behind me. I don't want you be on, at the back of my chair, right? Now, that put something no, very quick. If I had tolerated that and leaned back and stuff like that, that would be sending a completely different message to her. So I think the way to stop it is to stop it immediately. Uh, if you see it, stop it immediately. Don't let it, you know, it doesn't mean uh, blah, 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 blah. Stop it immediately and let the person know where your position is. If they can take liberties with you, uh, hold your hands, rub your shoulders. I've seen this in a, when I was a, um, a teacher in the school. I've seen the people who were married and at lunchtime, the liberties that they would take sometimes with other people, with other people who were married, they were married plus the other person was married. Mm. I was saying to myself, but if the husband or the wife ever walked into the room and saw that, that would either cause a, a, a massive explosion of fright or something. But um, you need to let a person know that you're married, hands off, not be touching you, uh, not be caressing you, uh, that kind of, and even the language they say about how you dress or how you shape. All of that needs to be very carefully thought about because if a person can give you uh, sexual compliments and you just smile and grin as though it is you want more of it, you can get more of it. But that is saying to the person that um, your morality 
um, is needs not to be desired. So you have to be very, very careful, very, very watchful in this matter. In the last 30 seconds, what advice do you have for someone who has started down this path? There's only one thing to do. You've got to stop what you're doing. You need to repent and ask God to forgive you. And you might need to sit down and talk with your wife. And if you have not gone to the extent where you're physically involved, ask her for help in this, in this matter. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.